Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for October 2019, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with author C.M. Cushions about his book, Nothing's Bad Luck, The Lives of Warren Zevon. As is the case with so many musicians, the life of Zevon was blessed with talent and opportunity, yet also beset by tragedy and setbacks. Drawing on original interviews with those closest to Warren Zevon, including Jackson Brown, Danny Goldberg, Barney Hoskins, and many others, Nothing's Bad Luck tells the story of one of rock's greatest talents. Journalist C.M. Cushions not only examines Warren Zevon's troubled personal life and sophisticated, ever-changing musical style, but emphasizes the moments in which the two are inseparable and ultimately paints Zevon as a hot-headed, literary, compelling, musical genius. I began my interview with author C.M. Cushions by asking him if he had been a fan of Warren Zevon for a long time and if he ever had a chance to see him perform live. I was. I was late to the party, uh, and I did not get to see him live or meet him, and it, it's the biggest regret of my life. But I discovered his music during a time in my personal life when, you know, I needed a new soundtrack, and his music hit me very heavily. And I'm a musician myself, and I'll be honest, there, there are books and things written about him, but nothing really dove into the creative process and the instrumentation and the composition. And all my friends that are musicians and lyricists revere him, but that was the stuff that really wasn't covered necessarily. So as a writer, I couldn't have invented a fictional character remotely as interesting as Warren Zevon. And it was a book that I would have bought if someone else had written it. So I <laughs> kind of made the decision to, to write the, the book on him that he deserved and that no one had done yet. His career just had so many highs and so many lows. And um, talk about being a survivor in the music industry. He had gained initial he gained initial success as a songwriter for other people. Right. Not everybody knows that. What, what were some of the artists that he worked for, songs that he wrote that were covered by other people? What were some of those tunes and Artists. Nailed it. You nailed it, Martin. The thing is, is that his, his uh, reputation early on was as a, as, as a songwriter's songwriter. When he was in L.A., he had befriended Jackson Brown and members of the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt, and it was a social atmosphere. But they all loved his songwriting, and they all kind of helped him out by covering his material so he would get some income coming in. Jackson Brown worked as hard as he could to get Warren his first real, real major record contract with Electro Asylum because they all knew how talented he was, even though mainstream listeners were, were, were yet to be able to put their finger on what he was going for lyrically. But, uh, yeah, if you pick up this uh, Linda Ronstadt album, three or four tracks on it, they're all by Warren, and you can see by who would pop up on his albums how much they really respected him, because it's a who's who of music at that time that would come down when he'd be in the studio. But he was. He was writing material for other people. And the biggest start that he got was as a teenager because the flip side of Happy Together was uh, something he had penned. And the Turtles actually handpicked it to be on the other side of their major release. So he was regarded as a songwriter's songwriter before there was even a major push for him to be a solo artist. That was really where his reputation started. 
such an unlikely, in a lot of ways, hit single. And for the casual listener, Warren Zevon, they immediately think of Werewolves of London, which what peaked in like the Always. top 25 and a fun song, but and a notable song. But gosh, there's so much more to Warren Zevon than that one single. People just think, so too many people think, oh, this oddball, crazy tune. Oh, yeah, that guy. But there's so much depth, more depth to his music than just that one single. Did he ever? Did he ever come to uh, not like the fact that that song was a hit? That it got pegged as kind of this oh oddball, kooky singer songwriter? Or was he always happy with the success of Werewolves of London, Chad? Well, from what I understand, is that he would in public, if he made a cameo as himself on a TV show or something, he would play this curmudgeonly character who who hated being typecast for one song. But the truth of the matter is that he loved that there was a signature song that people would be waiting for. He loved that he had one track where he could close, you know, close, you know, bring down the house at the very end of it with one song that everybody was waiting for. And at least at one point in the 90s during one of his interviews, he said, you know, it wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be appropriate if I ended the night with that four minutes of howling. <laughs> so I think he, he knew he was an entertainer and wanted to give everyone what they wanted, but I, I really feel that the great material, the brilliant material, would be pushed to the forefront, but he wouldn't skip the song that everybody wanted to hear. Even in live performance, he was that balance of artist and entertainer at the same time. So I don't think there was a resentment for it. I just don't think it's representative. I mean, he didn't write the hook, and he, didn't, and he only wrote one of the three verses, and there was so much more to him. But I think, uh, you know, that song got him so much play, and it kick-started his comeback when Martin Scorsese used it. There was no resentment, but we, we'd like to cast some light on, on the better songs that he really poured himself into other than that. But that was the signature tune, so it's good that when you hear it, you know who it is. Exactly. Talk about his relationship with David Letterman. It, they 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 hit it off from the very beginning, and Warren's final appearance beginning. on Letterman's show is just one of the most powerful and emotional nights of television ever. Talk about that a little bit. It really was. Uh, David Letterman, people forget that when Warren made his first appearance, he was, he was uh, promoting his third album for Electra Silent at the time, The Envoy, and he had already been through an intervention and into rehab. And David Letterman was only in his first season as talk show host, and Warren was handpicked by Dave to be on his show during the very first season because he was a fan. And I think, i got to be honest, I think he got a lot of respect from Warren because of the way in which he approached that subject during their television interview early on. And I think Warren gravitated towards that. So over the years, whether he had a record contract or he didn't, or whether his album at the time was selling or it wasn't, Dave always made it a point to have Warren on the show, both as a friend and also because I personally think he wanted to see him play live some of the new material. He'd try and keep it down, you know, downplay it, but he was a fan, and if he got to pick an artist he'd want to watch 10 feet in front of him, he'd pick his friend. So their relationship lasted for about 20 years, and when Warren was dying, he said, you are the best friend my music ever had. Mm. And he, I think he truly, truly meant that. If, you know, I was talking this week, we don't have all that much real official concert footage. If you go online, most of the best live footage that we had was Warren on Dave's show. So he did a huge service to the Warren's fans by having him on that many times. Mm. A couple more quick questions. Uh, as you alluded to, Warren had many, many terrible struggles with drugs and alcohol. When did he finally get sober? What led to that and when was that? Warren got sober uh, for real, the real deal, after a number of lapses and a huge struggle in 1986. And it happened right around the time that he was in production for what was his unofficial comeback album, Sentimental Hygiene. 
he had not had a record contract in the better part of five years. And it was the most difficult time of his life. He had been in and out of rehab. He was one of the first major celebrities that went through an intervention, which is commonplace now. It's an accepted form of therapy, but at the time it was very experimental, the idea of putting someone against the wall and giving them an ultimatum. But after a few years, it did take hold, and he didn't have a drink for 17 years after that. But that was in 1986. And he made it kind of a personal thing that the second chance at a career would be as sober as it deserved. And he, and he kept to that. Hmm. And if you ask me, after 1986, you look at the lyrical quality, he only got better and much more focused. And it's not the stuff people remember, so we're, we're going we're gonna to fix that. Yeah, yeah. Well, name of, do you have a favorite album or a favorite song that oh, uh, that you can you know pin down as as uh, my my final question? I know it's hard to, but name name one or two if you if you if you could. I think you'll approve of this, Martin. I'll be honest. I'll pick two. I'm going to pick two. Okay. Because I feel that Warren was two men. We'll do pre sobriety. His masterpiece is Desperados Under the Eaves, the closing track of his self titled for Electra Asylum, 1976. It is a masterpiece with orchestration, a string section, and all the components of a Warren Zevon composition are right there. All the way at the end of his career, he wrote the song Genius, completely sober, and from the standpoint of like this elder statesman of rock. And it was the last time in the studio that he was able to conduct an orchestra. So if I had to pick two songs that bookend his career, it would be Desperados Under the Eaves, and then that same narrator, that same song narrator, years later on the song Genius, which was the closing track of My Rides Here, his second-to-last album. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for October 2019. Our interview was with author C.M. Cushions about his book, Nothing's Bad Luck, The Lives of Warren Zevon. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Guess what? I'm stirring it with a monkey's paw. Since I saw you coming out of my barber shop, in that skimpy little halter top, did you like the candles? Did you put on kind?